0: I do really think there's something to over consuming that, mm-hmm. you know, if you over consume content, it just waters down your original ideas.
1: You're listening to small minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact. Small towns have a big heart and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small-Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Welcome back to Small-Minded. You guys, how are we in November, A. Eh? B, as you're going to hear from our guests this week, if you haven't started your holiday shopping yet and you're going to do primarily online, you better get those orders in. Today, we have the distinct privilege of welcoming Carrie Jo Kelso of Rosebud's Tees to the podcast. If you don't know her yet, you have my permission right now to pause this. Head over to Instagram, search at Rosebud's Teas, give her a follow, watch her stories, laugh love what she makes, then head over to her website and buy all the things. Because what she creates is merchandise and apparel for small town women like you and me who love where they come from, who love this way of life and want to celebrate that. Carrie Jo has always been one of those people who I'm like, I would love to have her on the podcast, but there's no way I could ever get her as a guest. Like, She's got so many followers. She's so cool. I just admire her so much. Like, Why would she take the time to be on this podcast? But You guys, I asked on a day where I was just feeling like super confident and I was like, okay, I'm just going to ask her. And she said yes without hesitation. And I am so thankful that she took the time today to share with us her wisdom, not only in growing Rosebud's teas into what it is today. And I love that she talks about like starting small, growing organically, like taking steps as they feel comfortable and appropriate for you and your unique business and not doing what everybody else does. Like, So many messages of that in today's episode that I think you're going to love. But also, she is a veterinarian by practice, and we talk and dig into the crisis that's facing veterinarians in this generation. And we chat about what she and some of her friends in the veterinary field are doing to help shed more light onto the work life balance that a lot of modern veterinarians are feeling. And just some steps that we as everyday folks can take to make our veterinary friends feel more comfortable and at ease and help them through this really pivotal time in their profession. So we really run the gamut in today's episode, but I know you're going to love it because Carrie Jo is just such a bright, wise person, and I really appreciate the time that she took to spend with us today. So again... Pause, go follow her on Instagram, watch the stories, buy the stuff, then come back and listen to the interview because it's awesome. But without further ado, no more of my talking. Here is my friend, Carrie Jo Kelso of Rosebud's Teas. All right. We're here with Carrie Jo Kelso. Carrie Jo, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast today.
0: Hey, thanks so much for having me.
1: I have been a follower of Carrie Jo. If you guys know of Rosebud's Teas over on Instagram or on Facebook, like this is her. I cannot, like, I shot my shot when I sent you a DM asking for an interview. And I was like, oh, she said yes. And I'm like, I'm so pumped to have you here right now because you love small towns and you're a small town person and you make products for small town people and you have all these other aspects of your life that we'll dig into too. But just, Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have you here for the listeners this week. Awesome. Thank you. So Carrie Joe, why don't we just let you start? You can tell us a little bit about you. You can talk about who you are, what you do,
0: whatever. We'll just let you jump in and tell us about yourself. Okay. Um, so, so I have been doing Rosebud's teas for, let's see, we're going on our sixth year. It'll be six years in February. And I started the business right after I graduated veterinary school. And so I, I hadn't always dreamed of opening a boutique or a retail store or online business. I knew nothing about that zero retail experience. So after vet school, I uh, was looking for a side hustle. I had come into a situation where I needed to fly home once a month. I had a sick family member and the plane tickets were like $600. It was outrageous. Um, so coming up with that kind of money, all of a sudden, I'm like, I need to walk dogs, drive Uber. I needed to find something that I could do to make up the extra cash. So that's how I fell into it, was looking for a side hustle. I had actually, um, I've drawn my whole life. I've been into art my whole life. And so uh was drawing on my day off one time as a a full-time small animal vet. And I'm like, why don't I put this on a t-shirt? And so I literally went to my laptop and I Googled how to start a t-shirt business. And uh, so from there, that was how I, I started the side hustle in 2016 and just became almost infatuated with online business and marketing and just loved it so much that I could express this creative side to it um, that I wasn't getting in veterinary medicine. And um, so it just kind of grew organically from there. And I've taken small baby steps the last five years and uh, was able to go part-time as a vet. So I still practice uh, a couple of years ago and uh, yeah, I love that I get the best of both worlds right now and uh, get to be creatively involved with rosebuds, but I also still get to use my degree as a vet a couple of days a week.
1: Oh my gosh. I have so many questions, but I love yeah. all of this. As an accidental entrepreneur myself, I think this is just so fascinating, but it's such a testament to the power of, like you said, taking small baby steps and then like just being curious enough to find answers to things and try them out. And eventually you'll have like grown so much when you look back from where you're at now. So totally a couple questions from what your introduction, do you remember what your first design said or what it was? What was it?
0: So I was, when I had that like moment, light bulb moment, I was sitting on my patio. I lived in an apartment outside of Austin, Texas, and there were these prickly pear cactuses that grew everywhere so I had a bunch just sitting out behind my patio and I was sketching a prickly pear cactus and I think I had drawn the text um something about like even the prickly pear blossoms because they have these really pretty flower pink flowers um and so that was my first sketch when I had the light bulb moment of I should put this on a t-shirt
1: Oh, that's awesome. So then when you went to Google and you Googled like how to start a t-shirt business, yeah, what were some of the first steps that you found on Google and pursued?
0: Yeah. So there was, I mean, if you know anything about the t-shirt business, I know everyone's probably in some sort of a Facebook group where somebody is making shirts, right? So like there's a ton of different ways to make shirts. There's DTG, there's screen printing, there's heat press, there's, Vinyl, there's um, sublimation, there's all these different ways. And so it was pretty overwhelming. Um, but I knew that I was working full time and I had a limited amount of time to work on this side hustle. So I wanted to find out if there was a way that I could do it without keeping an inventory and without making the shirts. So that narrowed my search down a little further. And I came upon drop shipping and I had no idea what drop shipping was. But uh, I had found this article on how to set up a t shirt drop site, which they're super common now. Um, back then, it was a little scary for me to <laughs> dive into, but I could put my designs up on a website. And when someone would place an order, it would go to uh, a printer in California, actually, and they would print and ship uh, the designs for me so that I could work still full time and I didn't have to worry about putting a bunch of t shirts in my apartment and, uh, trying to ship everything while I was working. So.
1: So, and that allowed you, like you said, to
0: do that creative
1: aspect, which was like making the designs and like expressing yourself in that way, but it gave you those things that you needed. Like you said, with the time, the Mm -hmm. limited time availability and it allowed you to grow as you were comfortable with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. After you did the drop shipping, when did the business kind of evolve and what was the next phase that you pursued as Rosebuds?
0: Yeah. So, uh, I put minimal investment in upfront. I think it cost me like $150. Um, and that was like the website, the business license, uh, even ordering samples. So it was like a very small investment upfront. I love that. Um, as the months went on, I was able to make the $600, but then a little bit more than that. And I didn't spend any of that money. I just let it accumulate until I got to the point where I think it was a year and I was at a place in life where I could focus on um, the business a little bit more. And I was able to put that investment into actual inventory. So I by that point, I had moved back home. I was um, living by my family and I went to a local screen printer and uh, started working with them to, I think the minimum they had was 12 shirts. So I remember like, oh my gosh, I have to order 12 shirts of one design. Uh, And I think I ordered three or four designs. So like there's not very many t-shirts. I was sitting in a, a room in my house and uh So it took me a year to kind of save up and get the guts to be able to invest in inventory. And it was so scary, so scary to be able to do that. But um, it transitioned that way versus trying to put the money in or taking a loan. It was very natural, organic and tiny little baby steps.
1: Ah, the thing I love most when I like have guests on the podcast is hearing how everybody's business grew in different ways. And it grew in a way that reflected the season of life they were in or the priorities Mm -hmm. that they had to have at that time. And I love that you are sharing this side of like investing when it worked for you and like kind of starting slow, but that also gave you an opportunity to be like testing your market almost. Oh yeah. What worked and what didn't, knowing which way to grow. And then when it was time and you had the capital to invest, then you had a better indication of what would be successful with your audience. Am, right. am I right in that?
0: Yeah, and that's one thing is I didn't start uh, Rosebuds with a niche in mind, so I didn't know that I wanted to focus on small town rural farm themed designs. What I did was I when I started, I put up so many different kinds of designs. It was awful. <laughs> it was, <laughs> there was no branding, there was no like cohesiveness to the side at all. There was no niche. It was very All over the place, but that is also kind of how I figured out what direction I wanted to go, what I liked to designing, what people were responding to, and it just so happened. I grew up on a farm. Um, I grew up in the country, so I was very much drawn towards the rural, small town stuff myself. I missed home. I was living in the city. I missed that, and so it just so happened that that's what people loved, and I kind of grew into that niche organically too. I. See old designs still. My friends still have like some of the really old ones. Like one was like "Mom hair, don't care." It's like I'm not even a mom, <laughs> it but just it worked. makes me laugh. Yeah. It makes me laugh. Yeah.
1: Um. So let's talk a little bit about. So kind of I guess backing up a little. You mentioned that now you're you moved home like about a year into Rosebud's business lifetime. And w- so where is home for you? And can you talk a little bit about like growing up in that small town, rural setting, and maybe like some of the things it taught you that you use today?
0: Yeah. So I grew up in Macomb, Illinois, or just outside of Macomb, Illinois uh, on a farm. So Macomb actually itself is not too small, right? It's like 20,000. It's a college town. So it's a fairly larger town. Um, But where I grew up, we were surrounded by a lot of the smaller communities, smaller towns. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just loved that everybody knew everybody. Like you got your news going to Hardee's, you know, like you were in the (laughs) Hardee's lobby.
1: (laughs) I love love that you call it Hardee's because sometimes like, do you ever see commercials? And it's like Carl's Jr. I'm like, it's called Hardee's. Get it right It's Artie's.
0: And the farmers are in the corner drinking their coffee. And, you know, you hear about all of last week's happenings in the area. And so for me, that was just very nostalgic. And I miss that. When I went home, I'm like, I miss like just walking in and knowing people or you know, going to the store and and having conversations in the store. Cause when I was living in Austin, it was none of that. You know, it took you two hours to run errands and I never ran into anyone I knew. So I really just missed that small town hometown feeling of just having close neighbors and, um, kind of looking out for each other and all of that. So that definitely inspired, um, the direction I took my business, but also made me want to go back to that and, um, kind of put some roots down there too. So
1: I love hearing all that. Yeah. Talking about like the coffee shop and the guys (laughs) in the corner, (laughs) like, I think we could probably all relate and we can all like get that picture of that diner or cafe in our mind. Like, yep. I know the guys around that table. Yeah. <laughs> Some of us might've waitressed for that group in the day, but <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, I love looking at your designs when I go through your catalog of inventory that you have, or like when your new launch new lines come out, I love how. Now that you do have a niche, you kind of cater to that small town, rural person who loves that lifestyle, who wants to like represent that lifestyle with what they wear. I just, I love that you tap into those sayings or those little things that like, it's just so quintessentially small town. Right. And so (laughs) I think about like your decals that have the water towers on them, or Mm -hmm. even like just, I have Which you see, like I wear it all the time, but it's like live in the small town dream t-shirt. I just, Mm -hmm. I love those things. It's the things that we need to celebrate about our small towns. Definitely. So when you are like looking around for inspiration or new ideas, do you kind of, I guess, what's your creative process? Do you look around you and see what's happening today? What's inspiring you today? Or do you kind of have a backlog where you tap back into that? Growing up, we're all growing up in the small town. Do you tap into that to get inspiration?
0: Yeah. So creativity is a funny thing because it's when you try to be creative, nothing comes to you. I don't know if yeah. you have that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've learned that I really have to focus on creating space. When I'm busy, I can't find inspiration for anything. So the seasons that I'm trying to do a lot of markets or I'm just super busy with work. No ideas come to me. I mean, it's dry. So I really have to focus on creating that space where I am just able to take time. And it may look like not working, but for me, it's letting my brain rest. And that's when ideas come to me, honestly. Um, And so I keep a list. If something comes to me, I'll just jot it down real quick on my phone. And then I go back and I'll go through those ideas. A lot of the ideas are, you know, related to the small town and everything, because those things come to me easy because that's where I'm, you know, I'm living. That's where Mm -hmm. I grew up. So a lot of that just naturally uh, I'm surrounded by it. And so giving myself space to allow that to come to me, I think is the most important thing.
1: I think that's so important. So listener, if you're multitasking (laughs) right now, (laughs) yes, which I welcome, like there are so many people that listen to this on commute and things like that, but this is a really important thing. Write it down. Put it in your phone notes, whatever. You need to make sure you make space for creativity, just like what Carrie Jo said. It's seems almost counterintuitive. It because does because it it's so hard for me and I probably yourself too, like, and a lot of entrepreneurs to slow down. Yeah, because so, like you feel un- running un- productive. Yeah. Yeah. But like you said, you need to make that space to let your brain rest. And that's where it gives you the opportunity to have clarity of thought. And like, I I don't want to tell people this, but like sometimes for myself, I have to shut off podcasts. Like if I'm going for a walk or something, mm-hmm. I don't get that creative inspiration. If I'm listening to other people's words, like sometimes yeah. I have to totally tune out and just make that space. Like you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Same thing with me and Instagram. It's like, I can't scroll because the more I scroll, I become uninspired. And there is, I do really think there's something to over consuming. Mm-hmm. You know, if you over consume content, it just waters down your original ideas. Um, so there's something to that for sure. Oh, I love that you brought that
1: up because there
0: definitely, and it
1: doesn't, it's not too hard to see it where you're looking, for example, let's say you're scrolling on Instagram and you come across a reel that has one sound and then you notice, okay, the last five reels that I was given, they all have that same sound. So it can be a trend, but also sometimes I go back and forth like, okay, where's the originality and the creativity? And that, like you said, like, where's that space for people to try out these new things and their own original content? I love that you mentioned that creative space. So for you, what is that? What does that look like? How do you like separate and step away and make that space for yourself?
0: Yeah, so honestly, it feels really, like you said, counterintuitive because it's just clearing my schedule. It's unproductive. in what we would think of unproductive um, is it looks like me going for a walk, uh, you know, going for like a four or five mile walk, Going to uh, a park, going for a drive, just sitting in silence like a lot of just uh, doing nothing. But it's really just giving my brain time to, like, I'm not even trying to think about anything. I'm really just focusing on resetting and resting. And that's been the most important thing.
1: Do you like? do you factor that time in weekly or do you try to do that monthly? Or is it just like when you just feel that pressure, like I know my body needs that creative yeah. rest.
0: Yes. I wish I had a schedule down, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's when I know that I am feeling pressure to create stuff. And when I'm feeling that pressure to pump out content or create more, come up with new designs, then I'm like, Whoa, I need to take a step back and just, create space and take a day to not create, to intentionally not create, because that's when my, my mind can reset. That is so wise. I love the wisdom that you just shared with us. So thank you
1: for sharing that because yeah, it can feel unproductive. And for those of us running small businesses, a blank day on the calendar might look like Mm -hmm. a waste of a day, but it's actually some of the best days you can have. For sure. Awesome. So as you are going through, let's say that you're prepping for a new collection or a new launch, or you've got a busy season coming up that you want to put new merchandise out for. How do you go through that list of your ideas, that that running list that you referred to? And how do you call that and know, okay, this one's got some legs. I want to take this idea further. And how do you know what's going to finally make it into that final collection?
0: Yeah. So I go back to my list of ideas that I had jotted down and read through them again. If anything kind of just pops into my mind, it's really not scientific at all. It's more of just what calls me to it. And if something pops, I'm like, oh, yes, that one. So then I just start creating. Um, I just start diving into it. And I create a lot of things that I don't end up putting out into the world. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot of just a process of uh, getting there. So I just work through it and I don't always know what the end product is going to be going into it. That's really the case. A lot of times I am creating for the sake of creating and it leads me somewhere. Mm -hmm. So um, very seldom do I take an item off my list and know exactly what it's going to look like and exactly what it's going to be. That's really cool.
1: I love the working through it does your process look like pen on paper, pencil on paper, or do you use iPad to design or?
0: I do a lot of different things. I uh, do pen on, I have a sketch pad. um, So I sometimes write them all out or sketch them out and then transfer it to the computer or I will draw it on my iPad. Um, So I have a lot of different options. Certain things are easier to illustrate on certain Mm -hmm. mediums, but I just try to make it easy on myself. I sometimes do it on my laptop too. So um, there's not a method to my madness. It's more of a messy process. Um, But, you know, at the same time, it is a little bit strategic. So I just uh, try to set myself up for whatever my creativity is going to prefer that day. I'm ready for it.
1: Okay. And I'm sorry if some of these questions are like too detailed or anything, but these are the kind of things that like, I don't have that creative gene as far as like, I can't draw, I can draw a stick figure, but like, (laughs) I can't visualize something and then put it together. So like hearing you talk through that, I'm just fascinated by this. This is so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So you've got the collection or you've got a design figured out or several designs that you're going to put into a launch or Mm -hmm. a collection. What are some of those things that you've learned over the years that help you make a collection or a launch successful? And I know, like we kind of referred to earlier in the interview, a lot of what you've done have just been small steps Mm -hmm. that have accumulated over time. So were there any things or developments or aha moments that stick out to you throughout the past five years that you're like, this is something that really helped me launch new product or get my systems together? Are there like one or two things there?
0: Yeah. So to be honest there, I cannot predict what is going to be successful. And I just talking to some other makers, I know there's a lot of other people that experience that too, Mm -hmm. where like we'll make something and we love it. And we're so excited to put it out. We order a ton of it or make a ton of it. And we're like, yes, it's going to be the best. Everyone's going to love this. And then there's crickets. Right. And, (laughs) and I've made that mistake quite a few times because what I love isn't necessarily what everybody else is going to love. So I wish I had an answer for that because I literally don't know. And what's funny is like something might sneak up on me where I'm not expecting it to do well. And then it sells out immediately. And I'm like, oh my gosh, can I even get this, get more of this in? (laughs) So I have not yet mastered knowing what is going to be successful. I have started out putting, like testing the waters a little bit. So trying to put, you sneak peeks online or on Instagram and just seeing, you know, if there's engagement there, because typically if I can do that and know that that's getting a lot of eyes or engagement online, I can kind of predict that way if something is going to be uh, more successful, maybe I can prepare better that way. But as far as launching um, products, we actually just set up a system recently with a photographer. So now I feel very much more organized where we're getting designs in, we're photographing them the next week, and then the week after that, they're launching. So now I'm like two weeks ahead of schedule, which feels awesome. But it hasn't always been that way. I mean, what we're like five and a half years in, and I just started doing that. So, but that's the
1: I think that is how your business has grown. And just like we have mentioned, like that allowed you to grow as you wanted to go. It is just a good way to test your waters, Mm -hmm. get that market validity. And also I think something we haven't mentioned yet, but it also builds a loyal following and a loyal community because you've, you've probably got people that came from the very beginnings of your business that are now following you to this point. And it allows them to get to know you as you're growing. And I think that really creates a loyal fan base for sure. That's really cool. So are there any recent lines or launches that you have in recent memory that you're like this particular piece or this line, like exceeded my expectations? Not
0: off the top of my head. Um, You know, the, the, ag and the the farm theme ones always do the best for us and so those tend to exceed my expectations we you know in the past I've kind of just launched individual designs and not so much focused on collections but now that we're doing uh, photography and batching them that way I've started to design in collections which is different I used to just do you know Random designs as they come to me. Um, But now it's really interesting how, like, my focus is changing from the scatterbrained mentality almost to focusing on a color scheme and a similar theme and collection amongst shirts. So that's something that you'll probably start to see more of in the next uh, few months as I start to roll out some of these other collections, but maybe not something that I've practiced in the past. So it'll be interesting to see.
1: Maybe that's where a lot of my questions and my line of questioning is coming from like collection. Maybe because I'm seeing more, like I love the process that you have started where it's like you've got your Monday launch. Um, We'll usually see like some teasers ahead of time, but yeah, it does seem very cohesive and you can tell that there's a lot of, um, like the photography is on brand and the messaging is on brand, and it looks so cohesive
0: that I guess I was just Thank thinking you. that
1: collections are something that you've been doing for a really long time.
0: My but- my brain is sometimes all over the place, <laughs> and um, being cohesive was, uh, you know, didn't come easily to me because I have you know shiny object syndrome like a lot of other small businesses, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't know how to make a cohesive brand. So that was something, you know, like in maybe my third year of business that I really dove into trying to make everything more cohesive. So didn't come naturally, didn't come easily, but it eventually came.
1: <laughs> what did that look like when you said you were like working on that, being more cohesive? Did that look like a logo or like just doing some like brand in-depth thinking and personality development or what did yeah. that look like for you?
0: Yeah, honestly, it was... um. So I had this uh, aha moment, you know, I kept, I knew what I wanted like my branding to be, my website to look like, my Instagram to look like, my market set up to look like, but I didn't know how to necessarily execute it. And I was just trying to do all these different things at once and nothing was looking like it. Um, My epiphany moment came when I had, I think it was Jenna Kutcher, maybe, uh, had a Pinterest course that I had been doing. And inside her Pinterest course, she had a brand board. And I didn't know what a brand board was at that time. This was like 2018, maybe. And so I did it. I put together, you know, my logo. And then you have to pick your colors and your fonts and um your just little design elements. And I put that all together and seeing that on one page, I think that's when it clicked. It's like, mm-hmm. oh. Part of building a brand is like being consistent and using the same messaging and the same um, aesthetic. And here I was trying to do all these different things and throwing stuff up at the wall to see what stuck. And that wasn't building a brand. That was just squirrel brain flying things out everywhere. Um, And so I think that was initially how I started. The light bulb moment for me was when when that clicked. and sorry, I don't know if I got off track there What from no. what your original question was.
1: That's great. No, I just asked about like, what did the branding, like you said that you really worked on that in that third year and the brand yes. kind okay. of developed. And so I just asked where that originated from. But I think that was when I talk about branding with business owners, a lot of times they associate that with like just the logo. Right. But like you said, the brand can be so much more and like, especially as someone Who's creative and visual, and like sometimes seeing that in a visual way is what helps. So I love that you brought up the Pinterest board where you can pull in inspiration and maybe it's a color palette or maybe it's just like a picture that really speaks to you and you love the way the light was shining through or something. Yeah. But bringing all that together in one spot can be like a visual interpretation of what you want your vibe or like your feeling for your audience to be. For sure. and so that's a really great way to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite um, quote that I, Had plastered everywhere that year when I was working on building that brand was um, your vibe attracts your tribe. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to create the same vibe on all social media platforms and in person events and my website um, really helped me try to stay cohesive. And then on the flip side of that, um, messaging, I dove into story branding that year as well and learned a ton about um, messaging. And using the same messaging over and over again to attract ideal customers. And so I think the two things together really helped me nail down what I was trying to do. Cause like you said, like a logo is not gonna save your brand. Although that in my head at the time, that's what I was mm-hmm. thought. That's what I thought too. And I think that
1: it's normal to think that in the beginning. And then as you kind of grow and mature and your business gets a little further developed, it's like, oh yeah, now I do. Have maybe I have more clarity myself around what I'm going towards. Mm -hmm. And now I have more inspiration or maybe not inspiration, but more information to help me like know exactly. Okay. If I want this feeling, like you said, that vibe, if I know what that is now, maybe I have those strategies that I can start putting into place or those people who can help me and those contacts that I know of who can help me start making this reality. But when in the beginning, like you said, sometimes you're just like, you've seen success in one place, you're just trying to replicate it. And then yeah. down the road, you can kind of start extracting themes and finding those pieces that like, okay, now I know why that one was a little bit more successful or that post got more traction than another one. And it's not a science, but it's, right. you can, the more you go, the more you can start seeing similarities anyway. For sure. All right. We, I could talk to you about this stuff all day long, but there's so many <laughs> things I want to get to yet. Um, so I'm gonna I wanna ask a couple more questions about okay. rosebuds. And then okay. I do want to also give us time to talk about your veterinary practice and some of the things that are really important and we should talk about on that topic. So a couple of things about rosebuds, but um, not only do you have like an online presence, we've talked a lot about your brand like on your website, and social media, things like that, but you also, I love this. You travel to markets and you have this beautiful trailer that you take with you. So, how do you balance or how do you approach your marketing when you are doing online sales and in person traveling
0: sales? So, balancing is not possible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In person sales and online sales, um, they're very tricky and it's a lot of work to jump back and forth. Uh, So, you know, there's not necessarily a good (laughs) good answer here but having help gosh i couldn't do it by myself and um i have two girls that help me mary and courtney and they help me so much before the show getting ready for the show and then when i get home just jumping back and forth with inventory and all the things but my side of it is just making sure that uh my camper my setup is more of an extension of my website so you know, visually, I I work on on that, and the girls help me with the inventory counts and the barcoding and the tags and all of that behind the scenes good stuff.
1: So, do they help in like
0: the day to day operations of the business too? Yes, they do a hundred percent of the shipping for me, um, so that I can focus on design and the um, outreach and uh, sales. So. They help me so much by getting everybody's orders out. And they're the reasons why you get your orders so fast because they are there doing the shipping.
1: Which is a hundred (laughs) percent. Like you are one of the fastest shippers. Like Amazon has nothing on Rosebud's (laughs) tees. You guys are awesome. And I think like, as we continue this discussion of like growing a little bit at a time, at what point did you realize that it was time to bring on team members to help you maintain what you already had and then get you to- like the next step of business?
0: Yeah, it was definitely the scariest step, I think, um, because there's just so many unknowns. Um, I did have somebody helping me when I was working full-time. I just couldn't do all this shipping from a time perspective. Plus I was on call 50% of the time. Um, So I had somebody helping me part-time then. But during the pandemic, honestly, online businesses did really well during the pandemic. If you sold apparel, Uh, lounge wear t-shirts people were looking to hang out in their homes and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and i was also working more at the clinic so i needed like i was like i need you guys now wherever you are i put up posts online i'm like i need help now so it was probably april during 2020 at the um right when the pandemic started that I recruited help and I, I have kept them ever since. Um, they have been great. And, uh, but the scariest part of the whole thing was just the idea of doing it, but I have never once regretted it. Oh my gosh.
1: I feel like you're talking straight to me right now. (laughs) Cause I mean, I've got a team of people too, but yeah, it is like, it's such a big, like mental game as the business owner to like first take on somebody, even at a part-time capacity or at a contractor Mm -hmm. capacity. But then like, as you go through these levels and these stages, then it's like, okay, at what point is it full-time? And then like you said, it's a big mental challenge. And like making that decision is a tough one for a lot of business owners who have to go through these stages of growth. Definitely. Awesome. And okay. So last question about Rosebuds, I could ask a million more. But as this, we're recording this in late October, but when it airs, it's going to be like mid-November peak, beginning of holiday shopping. Maybe some people aren't as behind the eight ball as I am. Maybe they are done with their holiday shopping, but I'm just starting to think about it in (laughs) mid-November. So as a retailer, and I know we talked before we went live on this recording, you said that knowing your busy times of year and when those peaks and those um, surges of orders are going to come in is really mm-hmm. important. So for a lot of retailers, that might be the holiday season for other retailers. It might be other periods throughout the year, right. but as somebody in the retail space, how did you find out when these busy times are going to be? And then how do you try your best to prepare for those? Sure.
0: Yeah. Honestly, the, I did not know even the first three years, I, I would look back at the numbers and the ebbs and flows of everything over the months. And I was surprised um, because I would have thought that fourth quarter would have been, you know, around the holidays would have been my busiest time of year. And it was not. Um, So I could, if I wouldn't have looked back, I would have just gone through the last five years and assumed that this is, you know, the time that I need the most inventory on hand. And my busiest time of year is March, April, May. So yeah, looking back. So crazy, but really, really cool. That's really cool. And, you know, I think most of what I sell are t-shirts, so that, that does make sense seasonally. But just looking back and taking time out of your schedule to analyze just patterns. So patterns of, you know, ebbs and flows of your sales. See if those repeat year to year. Um, you will notice patterns in your business or, you know, during the pandemic, you may have an off year and it's going to change. Um, mm-hmm. Some people, I think, changed permanently after that. but. Just getting familiar with it, I think, is super important. And um, if you haven't already started buying your Christmas presents and it's been November and you're planning on shopping online, I would encourage you to start doing that right now because shipping is going to be a disaster. (laughs) She's looking at me when she says
1: that, everybody (laughs) knows. I'm glad you mentioned that because, yeah, we've been hearing about shipping delays. And then as a person who, shipping is a key part of your business. I'd imagine that's adding a lot of variables and questions to your holiday season.
0: Yeah. Just putting this out there last year, which was, you know, we still were in the pandemic. That's a little bit more normal-ish now, but last year we had lots of packages that took four weeks to get there. And that was normal. So it is um, not only a customer service nightmare on the retail side of things, but you know, a lot of people that buy in December, you're not going to get those in time for mm-hmm. Christmas if that's what you're buying them for. So just keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind. It might take you a month to get what you order. <laughs> so this week, folks, this
1: week, maybe next week at the latest, yeah. get your orders in early. I appreciate that <laughs> announcement. <laughs> okay. So let's transition into more about your veterinary practice. So can you tell us a little bit about like, when did you know you wanted to be a veterinarian? Uh, Was it something you always wanted to do as a young girl? Was it something that came upon you later? Um, And then talk about like the education and the preparation you had to do to get that degree.
0: Yeah. So for me, I'm a little bit different in this. I'm a very logical person, even though I'm a really creative person, I'm very logical as well. And so I didn't grow up wanting to be a veterinarian. I actually grew up wanting to be a designer. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Cool. (laughs) And, um, but I was really good at science and I was involved in ag and FFA. And I looked at art as something that I probably couldn't make a living with. And I looked at, science as a career path. And so Mm -hmm. for me at that time, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm really good at science and I love ag. Like, I think I'll just be a vet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was my decision, 18 years old and went down that career path. I got into an early admission program um, at Oklahoma State my freshman year there. And so I kind of went a non-traditional route uh, into vet school. And I had to do certain things, Um, had a mentor, had to work in a clinic, uh, had to um, keep my GPA above a certain level. And then I kind of got to pick once my requirements were done, I kind of got to pick when I would go in. So I went into vet school after three years. Um, And vet school was an additional four years after undergrad. So it is a little bit scary to think that your 18-year-old self decides what you're going to be doing. Um mm-hmm. you know, as a career. That's that frightens me right now. <laughs> I know 32. at the time
1: <laughs> I I am 100% on board with you on this. I feel like at the time you feel like you're so old and you're so mature and then now looking back I'm like why are we making these young kids right? decide what they want to I do know. for the next
0: 60 years? It's so crazy. It is. It is. And um and it was, you know, a logical choice to me. I really do uh, enjoy it and I still do it, but it didn't, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that I found rosebuds and I've been able to kind of have a business on the side as well in design, looking back, mm-hmm. knowing that like, I always wanted to be a designer. So I did find my way back to it in some way. And now you've got a
1: little bit of both happening in your yep. daily
0: life. Yep.
1: Awesome. Um, one of the things that I was really drawn to, so for people who aren't listening, make sure you go and follow Carrie Jo on all the socials. Um, but a few weeks back, this is the summer sometime I was watching your Instagram stories and uh, you had a series about like the very concerning things that are happening in the veterinary industry to vets, um, in their health and so, do you want to talk about that? Like what's happening? And then what are some things that we, as maybe not being involved directly in veterinary, like, is there anything that we can do as listeners yeah. today?
0: Yeah. So, um, veterinarians have been, um, kind of quietly suffering, um, not everybody, right. But just this profession, um, with mental health and in, I the best way to say it is like, we had this profession, like this mentality of, you know, this is what you signed up for. You signed up for sacrifice. You know, you won't see your things that I heard in vet school, get used to not seeing your friends and family, get used to not having a work-life balance. Like this is what you signed up for. And these were all just little nuggets that we heard from um, our professors and our teachers and other veterinarians. And, you know, it was just preparing you for this life of you're going to work seventy to eighty hours a week, and this is it. Like, and even a lot of conversations um, from other vets of you know you can't be a you can't be a mom and be a full time vet. You can't have it all. And I heard that I don't know how many times, but it, you start to believe those things, mm-hmm. and then you get out and practice and. It is mentally draining. You have to be accessible 24 hours a day, not just to your clients, but then you get home and you have no offense to all you favorite people of mine, but you have friends and family that are text messaging you and DMing you Mm -hmm. online because you have to be accessible all the time. Um, You get called in the middle of the night and have to be on your A game and you're like, I'm just waking up, you know, give me a second (laughs) to come to Um, and so there's just all this pressure around being a vet. There's no escaping it. You can't always come home and just relax and take it off your shoulders. You bring it home with you. You bring the stresses with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that starts to wear on people, especially younger, this younger generation of veterinarians. We're kind of calling BS on, on a lot of that old mentality. You know, we, we do want work-life balance, we want to be able to somewhat mentally separate ourselves and just decompress from that stressful work environment because we love what we do, but there is like this separation almost that we're trying to make happen. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're surrounded, we're in a split right now where the the people that are the older generations that are going towards retirement you know, they were taught the same thing. They were, mm-hmm. they were taught, you know, this is what we signed up for. These are the sacrifices we make. So right now we're kind of split. I feel like as a profession and our younger generation is trying to educate the older generation a little bit on um, how we can advocate for a more mental health benefits in our practice and just feel better. Like just, just have a, a better quality of life as a veterinarian. And when
1: I think of veterinarians and reflecting on what you have just shared it's like yeah they do always have to be you always have to be accessible and I wonder like with the advancements in technology maybe like in recent years like we have I guess not so recent cell phones but then like you've got the inundation of like social media all the apps all the notifications that you have and so like yeah even if you can't like shut off from work even when you are home like you still are being just like notified of everything all the time. So yeah, Yeah. it can be mentally draining. And then to add on the element of not being able to shut off for work, you're always Mm -hmm. on, that's just gotta be a really hard road to
0: walk. Yeah. And I think that is, um, people, I think veterinarians feel almost stuck sometimes and, um, they feel like there's not a way out of that lifestyle. And so veterinarians are at the top of the charts for suicide rates. And so that's something I think that's the professions going through a a wake up call really Mm -hmm. is to, you know, Hey, there's a problem here. We need to address it. And yeah, it's just something to bring more awareness to um, especially in the world of social media, when anyone can post anything on the internet, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, we're real people too, and we have feelings. And so when, we're frequently the subject of angry, um, offensive Facebook posts or, um, rants, you know, on the internet. And so that's something that we also have to look at, go to bed at night and, um, try to deal with on a a personal level. So there's a lot of things that I I think people don't realize that we have to go through as a profession.
1: And yeah. So just treating people a, like, I just shared this with my kids on the way to school today. Like remembering the golden rule, treat people the way you want to be treated. Yeah. Remembering that on the other side of the screen, whether you're making a phone call to your vet for a middle of the night call, or you're posting about a service you received in a clinic, like remember that there's people associated Mm -hmm. with this. And you guys as veterinarians, like a lot of you have a, like a big heart. That's what I've noticed. in a lot of the people that I know who go into the field it's like, there's just such a heart and compassion and caring and caring, not only for like your patients, your animal patients, but also the owners of those patients. And so you're trying to balance like emotional need. You're trying to approach it from a medical standpoint and care standpoint. And then all of those together just do create the perfect Um, storm for a lot of stress. Um, so is there any way to help veterinarians? Are there any like specific causes or ways that people can show their support for the education
0: you guys are trying to do? I would say just be kind, Mm -hmm. you know, be kind to your veterinary staff. Um, Send them a thank you card. Honestly, that seems so small, but it means a lot because usually we only hear about the bad stuff. You know, rarely Mm -hmm. do we get to hear about the good stuff. So just be kind, say thank you. And, um, Yeah, I think that would be the best way to help.
1: Just simple little things, simple things that you can add in, like you said, make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Okay, Carrie Jo, can we talk about um, where people can find you online, how they can follow you, how they can shop you? And then we're going to go into our small talk round, which is just a bunch of random questions that I (laughs) ask.
0: But yeah, go ahead and tell us how people can find you online. Yep. So I'm on Instagram is my main social platform at Rosebud's Teas. I'm also on Facebook, Rosebud's Tees, and my website rosebudstees.com where you can shop t-shirts, accessories, sweatshirts, all the good stuff for small town women.
1: Look at that cohesion and consistency at Rosebud's Tees <laughs> everywhere you guys. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so getting into the small town ground, I have no prepared questions. I just have like things that I'm wondering that I'm going to okay. ask you and just go ahead and give me the first thing that comes to your mind. All right, shoot. Okay. First question. What is your favorite color? Color? Color. Peach. Love that. It goes with, like, you have a bright personality, so that's very (laughs) fitting for you. All right, next question. What is your go-to snack?
0: Okay. First thing that came to me, Arby's cookies. (laughs) 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 I've recently started of fitness and nutrition program. And I will say I've only had one Arby's cookies in the last So the <laughs>
1: Arby's cookie is not on the fitness and nutrition program?
0: <laughs> Limited amount of Arby's cookies, <laughs> but I will say that is my favorite cookie. If you haven't had a cookie from salted caramel cookie from Arby's, they should sponsor me really because I <laughs> love them. They're delicious.
1: I haven't had one. Don't cheat oh, me. Oh, so I good. have not. Like we don't have an Arby's very close by. So I need to like make it a thing to go these <laughs> cookies. <laughs> okay. I was gonna ask you about your favorite social media platform, but you said Instagram. Um yep. so is there like stories, reels, or are there or just like posts? Which one do you prefer to be most active in?
0: I'm most active in stories for sure. because um, it's the easiest, you know, it's off the cuff, it's real life. Um, super easy to show up in stories um, posts number two, uh, reels. Those are the hardest for me to crank out. Yeah. So I think it's just, maybe I'm not used to doing them yet. The more I do them, the more I'll probably be comfortable with, but definitely stories, uh, is the easiest place for me to go.
1: And stories are, I love your stories. She just got a new puppy and he's been in the room with you. hasn't made a sound. He's Um, napping right now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. He is so cute. I'm sorry. I'll whisper. Um, Oh, you've got (laughs) headphones in. So we're good. But yeah, go follow her on stories because they're great. Um, Two more questions. What was your first job that you were paid for?
0: Oh, well, I worked on the farm, some vaccinating pigs. um, That would probably have to be it. My gosh, vaccinating pigs. Like my husband is a a hog farmer
1: too. So I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's a a job to have to do that. It
0: hurts your back. I couldn't do it anymore
1: for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Very last question. What is one goal that you have for Rosebud's teas, or personally for 2022? One goal um, for
0: 2022, we are um, focusing on wholesale. Yay. Yeah. So I have sort of not focused on growing wholesale at all. It's kind of just been on the back burner and it's It started as a boutique owner messaging me on Instagram. Hey, do you wholesale? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's the focus of 2022 is going to be expanding our reach to boutiques.
1: That is so awesome. I have some boutique owners that I think you would be perfect for. So I will put a little bug in their ear. (laughs) But Carrie Jo, thank you so much for your time today. It has been such a pleasure having you here, having the opportunity to pick your brain about business, And just hearing about the important causes that you're helping be an advocate for. I just really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right, everybody. You know what you got to do next? Go over to Rosebud's Tees, buy your favorite small town merch, and then tag us in stories so we can see how awesome you look in Carrie Joe's designs. Mm -hmm. Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at small minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one, take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well-lived being small-minded.